Well, everybody say with me, yee-haw. All right, we're going to read a few verses before you're seated real quickly. I heard somebody say, boy, they stand around here a lot. We'll keep you in shape. We're on a series, and I'm closing out the series today on three faith busters that David faced, three faith busters that David faced and overcame. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin the series, The Apprentice. And I got to tell you, I feel it's one of the most important series I've ever done. And I want to encourage you to be here for The Apprentice. Learning to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Learning to be a disciple. It's going to be a great series, and I encourage you to be there. Wednesday night, I'm going to be talking about He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. As we journey through Mark with Jesus, we're going to learn to know Jesus. Amen? All right, here we go. 1 Samuel 17. Let's read it together. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's not nice of him, is it? Let's read the next one. Then the Philistines said, this day, oh, wait a minute, Uh, that's it? All right, that'll do. Everybody say with me, intimidation. (laughs) Father, we thank you today that you've given believers in Jesus the victory. And I pray for the defeat of intimidation. I pray that You will defeat intimidation so that the gift of God can be released from every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. You're going to need this today. All right, we've been going through three faith busters that that David faced. And here they are. When nobody believed in him, or what I like to say, when people defined him down. When people tried to define him down, minimize him, marginalize him, ruin his faith on the inside. First one. Second one was impossible odds, called it mission impossible. When you're looking at an impossibility, there's no way out but God. You know that you need a miracle. When there's no way out but God. And then the third one today, the limitation of intimidation. And I want to talk to you today about intimidation and how David overcame uh, fear and intimidation. Now remember, I shared with you last time that Goliath was not a giant to David. When we find David in this story in 1 Samuel 17... His daddy, Jesse, has said, now I want you to take some bread to your brothers there on the battlefront. I want you to take some bread to them and and come back, give me a report on how things are going. Because I understand they're being defied by a giant. So David went and took some bread. Now Jesse thought he was sending his son with bread. But God was sending a giant killer to Israel. I've shared with you that God uses the the normal, everyday, same old, same old things of life 
to order your steps and bring about his will. I personally believe every step a child of God takes, God is behind it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. So there is a sovereignty factor that we've got to understand. God is sovereign over our lives. He's providential. He orders our steps. He guides our way. So here comes David with some bread. He hears the giant. He becomes enraged with a righteous anger over what this giant is saying. He's defying the armies of the living God. He's mocking the God of Israel. And David, who loved God with all of his heart, couldn't stand it. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight him. When he saw Goliath, Goliath was not a giant. When Israel, the Israeli army saw Goliath, he was a giant. And that's why you've got to understand today that giants are giants relative to who's looking at them. A giant is a giant relative to who's looking at it. When the 12 spies went across to the promised land to spy out the land, 10 of them came back and said, we're like grasshoppers in the sight of those giants. But two of the men said, we can easily take them. When the 10 of the spies looked at the giants, they were huge to them and and they saw themselves as unable to to, uh, defeat them. But when two of them saw the giants, they said, no big deal, our God's bigger than those giants. So giants are giants relative to who's looking at them. Goliath was a giant to Israel because of what was not in them. And I talked to you last week about the importance of cultivating the interior life, your soul. You've got a soul. You have an eternal soul. When God created you, formed you, fashioned you, when you were born, when you were conceived, the breath of life is a soul. We're told by many in our culture today that you return to the dust and that's all there is. There is no eternity, but that's not the teaching of the Bible. Believe it or not, You have an eternal soul, and it's why Christ came. He came to die for your eternal soul. He came to redeem your eternal soul, which is either lost or found. Lost or redeemed. This is the whole reason he came, to redeem our soul, to give us abundant life here on earth. The soul was the issue. And you got to take care of that soul. Once you're born again, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. I don't know of any parent who, when their child was born, look at it and say, well, hallelujah, they've been born. It's over. No, they got big dreams for them. They're going to have a career. They're going to be successful. They're going to be happy. They're going to have children, have a family, grow to an old age. They're going to this. Every parent has a dream for that child. The birth is just the beginning. They don't walk out of the hospital and say, well, born. And when you get born again, God does not say, well, hallelujah, born again, that's it. That's just the beginning. Because when you get saved, God has a dream for you. Just like God has, or your parents had a dream for you when you were born physically. When you get born spiritually, God has a dream for you. Paul said, my goal in life is to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. Have you ever stopped to think when you got saved, you were apprehended by God. And there was a that, a that for which 
you were apprehended. And that is God's dream for you. And he wants you to know it and walk in it and enjoy it. There's so much more than just being born again. And one of the things that will ruin your dream or that will certainly hinder it is intimidation. And I want you to hear me today now because David had to overcome intimidation before he could slay the giant in his life. So I want to talk to you today about overcoming the spirit of intimidation because the spirit of intimidation wants to paralyze you so that you do not do the will of God. Don't walk in the dream of God. He wants to intimidate you. And many of you today are intimidated and don't even know it. What does intimidation mean? It means to make somebody fearful or timid. Think of the word intimidation. If you are intimidated, you are in a spirit of timidity, intimidation. It's a spirit of timidity and it's not from God. It means that that you are being hindered by threats, either from outside or from inside. Goliath was the personification of intimidation. He barked out constant threats to David and to Israel. And look what was happening to Israel. God's anointed people, God's army. They should have been walking in the faith of God and in the power of God and in the success of God and the victory of God. But they were kowtowed, shaking, quivering in their tents over one giant. They were intimidated. Goliath said to David, we read it, but let me read it again. What a thing to hear from a nine foot tall guy who's carting around a spear that weighs about 150 pounds. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. It says when Goliath first saw David, that he belittled him and mocked him. His MO was intimidation. The enemy of our soul is an intimidator. We've heard the terminator. How about the intimidator? Some synonyms for intimidation are to browbeat, to bully, to spook, to menace, to badger, to harass, to hound, to unnerve, or to demoralize. That's intimidation. And the enemy of our soul is an intimidator. He uses intimidation all the time. Goliath had successfully intimidated the entire army of Israel. What a sight. What a sad sight. It says when Saul and the Israeli army heard the giant's words, they were dismayed and frightened. And I tell you today, the reason they were dismayed and frightened, it wasn't the size of the giant. It was the smallness of their interior life. They had begun to be confident in having a mighty nation. Israel was growing into a mighty nation. And they had a strong army. And they had begun to put their confidence in the flesh and not in God. And so they had forsaken their interior life. They had not built their faith. They had not built their walk. They hadn't spent time with God like David had on the backside of a desert, singing psalms to God, learning how to defeat enemies by the anointing of God, killing the lion, killing the bear, anything that attacked the sheep that Jesse, his daddy, had put him in trust with. He grabbed the lion by the beard, brought him down with his bare hands under the anointing of God, 
and did the same thing with the bearer. He was learning the anointing of God. He was singing to Almighty God. He was cultivating his interior life. He was strengthening his walk with God. He was falling in love with God. He was a man after God's own heart. And I tell you, church, one of the messages that God is emblazoning on my spirit, and I believe it's being spoken by the Spirit of God all over America to the church, is we are incredible at winning people to Christ, but we're not so good at taking care of the interior life. You've got to feed your soul. Your soul has needs. Your soul has desires. Your soul has got to be taken care of. You've got to feed it the Word of God. You've got to build it up in the faith. You've got to fall in love with Jesus afresh and anew all the time. You've got to make Him your primary pursuit or your soul Though you are saved, your soul will starve. Your soul can die of thirst. The Bible goes on to record that when all the men of Israel saw the giant, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Again, an indictment on their interior life. It is not a compliment to the size of the giant. If they had had a strong interior life, they would not have seen a giant. In another story, when Nehemiah and the children of Israel were released from Babylonian captivity to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls surrounding Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 4 says that enemies rose up to stop it. The minute they began to rebuild the walls, enemies rose up to stop it. And they used four things. Here they are, reproach, confusion, weariness, and intimidation. Did anything they could to stop the wall from going up and that the enemy of our soul will do whatever he needs to to stop the wall of God's life and God's protection and stop you from growing spiritually. He'll do anything to stop it. And one of his MOs is intimidation. And the builders in Nehemiah's day were told 10 different times, quote, from whatever place you turn, your enemies are going to be upon you. They're everywhere, they're everywhere, they're everywhere, and they're coming to get you. That was the rumor, and they were intimidated. Nehemiah saw through this, and he said these words, quote, They are trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Man, if anything describes what the enemy is after, when he comes against you and me with intimidation, it is that. That your hands will be weakened in the work of God in your life, and it will not be done. He wants to stop the work of God. He can't stop you from being saved, but he can do everything in the world to stop you from growing, everything in the world to stop you from fulfilling God's dream in your life. Anything he can to stop you, he will do it. And intimidation is a huge weapon. So he intimidates through fear of rejection. Well, if I walk with God, if I take a strong stand for God, I'm going to be rejected. Yeah, you will, but I got to tell you, it feels good. Peter said, when you're rejected for the name of Christ, the spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. But right now in America, can I just be honest with you today? The church in America is, is by and large intimidated by the culture We live in a culture of political correctness where apparently we're told that it's wrong to judge anything as being wrong or right. We live in a day when right is wrong and wrong is deemed right, when good is bad and bad is called good, when light is dark and dark is called light, 
And if you take a stand for God, you are a right-wing extremist, nutty bigot who needs to go get educated. We live in a culture that is in the grip, in the invisible chains of political correctness. So that preachers are afraid to stand up and use the word sin. Preachers are afraid to stand in the pulpit and say you need to get saved. Preachers are becoming afraid of opening up the Bible and preaching it as it is to men as they are. And you know what's happening? The sheep of God are starving for a word from God. Starving to be fed the scriptures. Starving. And what is doing it? The spirit of intimidation. I hear preachers all the time. It's sermonettes to Christianettes. Three points in a poem. Feel good messages. But if I've got cancer and my doctor doesn't tell me, my doctor is an evil doctor. And God has already x-rayed human society. And the, the verdict is in. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news. <clears throat> but right now the church is under the attack of intimidation. There is a Goliath attacking the church of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, many of the preachers and many of the Christians are hiding in their tents and quivering. And we've got to get back to not being afraid of what men think. Because I have found when I share the word of God and preach it like it is, people get saved, people get delivered, people get set free, people thank me, they write me, they call me. But, but political correctness is nothing but a Goliath of intimidation. And the intent is that our hands will be weakened in the work of God and it will not get done. So you've got to shake off intimidation. You've got to say, I will not be intimidated. What are you afraid of? Fear of rejection? Fear of judgment? Fear of failure? Fear of the disapproval of men? Fear of the unknown? Whatever it is, I can tell you, whatever God's will for you is, it's going to take righteous boldness to get it done. You're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to take a step of faith and say to yourself, I don't care what people say. You're going to have to step out there. Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a pastor evangelist. Timothy won souls all the time. But Paul got wind of the fact that Timothy had come under the spirit of intimidation. Timid Timothy. He had come under the spirit of intimidation. And Paul wrote to him and he said, what's the matter with you? Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Fan the flame, Timothy. Don't you let the spirit of intimidation stop you from doing the will of God. It'll wrap itself around you. It'll give you lockjaw. It'll put you in a spirit of fear. It'll rob you of what God's got for you. And Paul said, Timothy, stir up the gift. Don't you come under this thing of, well, I'm just going to kind of go easy. And I'm going to be sensitive to the lost. I'm not going to really preach the gospel anymore. And I'm going to keep my faith to myself. I just believe in being a silent witness. I've always wondered how that works. Because that's a contradiction in terms. If I'm a silent witness, 
That don't make no sense. That's bad English, but good preaching. Because you see, witness means you're talking. How does a silent witness work? Mm. Do you feel it yet? I'm being a silent witness. You know what people walk away thinking? That boy is weird. You might as well tell them why you are the way you are. Church, I'm I'm preaching a little bit today because I want us to shake off the shackles of intimidation. It is not from God. Say with me, stir up the gift of God. Fan the flame of God. It's amazing what will happen when you open your mouth and just go ahead and say it. We have a couple visiting us today. Uh, the, the lady down here, Alice, uh, owns Adair, Adair eyeglasses uh, over there on Hewlin. And I was in there one day waiting for my glasses to get fixed. And there was a little Jewish lady there. And she turned to me and she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. Oh. And I said, and I, and I met her, real sweet lady. And you know what? She began to ask me questions. And I told her some of the things that Jesus said. Just told her what Jesus said. I quoted Jesus. Believe it or not, in a formerly Christian nation, it's not anymore. But in a nation whose roots are Christian, it is amazing how many people don't know some of the simple things Jesus said. Now, if I'd been a silent witness, I would have said, Let's see if you can get it. I said, I said, let me tell you what Jesus, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. She said, he said that? He said that? And inside I'm thinking, you don't know that he said that? But see, for me to witness, I had to say it. You witness with your words, you witness with your life. Your words match your life. Your life matches your words. And before I knew it, I'm sitting here talking to a, I mean, she had to have been, I don't know, 80-ish or so. And she didn't even know what Jesus said in America. So I wasn't afraid of being rejected or afraid of being mocked. I don't care. As long as I know I'm faithful to him, he will take care of me. Through intimidation, the gift of God inside of you is quenched and the bright flame of zeal is extinguished. You're either walking in the Holy Spirit's boldness or you're walking in a spirit of intimidation. Now, I've noticed that intimidated people can be depressed, they can feel helpless, they can feel confused, frustrated, and even in despair because God did not save us to walk in intimidation He saved us to walk in liberty and in boldness. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Do y'all mind if I share with you this way today? You're being pretty quiet. Come on now. This is good news because some of you are shackled by intimidation today. And I'm going to believe God that that's coming off of you. And I'm not talking about going out and acting crazy and being a nut. I'm talking about being free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Nehemiah refused to be intimidated, and the wall was finished in 52 days. 
And David refused to be intimidated, and he brought Goliath down with a well-placed rock in the forehead. Now, how did David win over the poster boy of intimidation? How did he do it? Because, listen, on that great day, David actually defeated two giants, the giant of intimidation and the giant called Goliath. And you are going to overcome intimidation today. How did David do it? First, he had an ongoing, fresh relationship with God that drove out the fear. I want you to listen to the word of the Lord. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, mature love, full-grown love casts out fear. Listen to the Living Bible. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he, God, might do to us. And it shows that we're not fully convinced that he really loves us. So sometimes intimidation can be a signal that there are some things we don't understand about God and the the hugeness of his love for you and me. Fear of the giant was not Israel's problem. The giant was not Israel's problem. Israel's problem was doubting God. They had no ongoing, fresh relationship with God to drive out their fear. Another Bible translation says there's no fear or no room for fear in love. Perfect love banishes fear. Here's another translation. Love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear. Hebrews 13.5 says... He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man can do to me. David's fearlessness, his courage was rooted in his intimate, fresh, ongoing relationship with God. You can't go on last year's touch any more than you can go on last year's full tank of gas. You know you got to fill the car up you got to fill your soul up. I've got, you know, we've got several dogs in our house. One of them, a little chihuahua named Poppy, thinks that Jesus is Kathy, and Kathy is Jesus. He's a little chihuahua. And I I know where I stand, and it is, I'm invisible. Because uh, he'll sit there on the couch just languishing until she gets home. And I'm sitting there in the chair trying to talk to him. He won't even hardly look up and acknowledge me. But as soon as she comes home, you can hear Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. (laughs) And he gets up and he runs and he gets all excited. There's only one time he comes to me. And that is when she's cooking and every once in a while the smoke alarm will go off. Now, I don't want to give her cooking a bad name here. I'm not saying she burns things. But And you know I'm paying a price to tell you this story for a good illustration. You know I'm paying a price. And so we'll have this smoke alarm that'll go off. Boop, boop. Now there's something about that high frequency sound terrorizes little Poppy. And man, if that thing goes off even once, he is right up in my lap looking at me like, you'll do. You'll do. 
And I've learned to take full advantage of those moments and just, you know, love on him and try to get him acclimated to me. But Poppy knows when I'm afraid, I run to him. The Bible teaches that the deeper our relationship goes with God, the less we will fear. Remember, giants aren't removed by solving problems. They're removed by spiritual growth. Jesus told his disciples who had not been able to deliver a child from a demon spirit, they said to him, why couldn't we do it? He said, you need to increase your faith. He did not tell them to sharpen their technique. He said, increase your faith because giants are removed by spiritual growth, not solving problems. So when you're faced with a giant of intimidation, grow spiritually, deepen your walk with God, seek him harder, get into the word longer, grow spiritually, grow up, mature, because maturity, spiritual maturity is also to grow in love and love will banish fear. Billy Sunday said, fear knocked at my door, faith answered, and there was no one there. I like that. As you seek God, you will see that most of your fears never happen. And most worries die in vain anticipation. Seeking God. Fear is like a dark room where negatives are developed. But living in the Word parts the clouds and releases a ray of sunshine every time. Second thing David did, I like this, he ran towards the roar. Can you say with me, run towards the roar? He ran towards the roar. Listen to what it says. So it was when the Philistine arose and came to draw near to David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He didn't just run towards the giant. He ran towards the whole army with a sling and a rock. Here's the principle. Intimidation only works when you're in retreat. Intimidation gains its strength when you run from it. The Israeli army fled when they saw the giant. Have you ever stopped to think there's only one part of your body the armor of God does not cover? It's your back. You know why? Because God didn't expect you to be running. Intimidation is a bully, and most bullies back down when you face them. Intimidation laughs when you run, but it wilts when you wheel around. What are you intimidated about? What are you afraid of? What locks you in those invisible handcuffs? Are you intimidated by fear of rejection, fear of disapproval, fear of failure? I'm just afraid that if I step out, I'll fail. Making a mistake, I know that I'll blow it if I step out. I know that I'll blow it if I try this or that or the other. Intimidation is locking you in, just like Goliath did that army and keeping you from God's best. If you think about it, most intimidation is rooted in the fear of man. What others may think, what they may do, or what they may say. That's most intimidation. This is why scripture warns the fear of man brings a trap. And I'm convinced the trap is the trap of intimidation. 
No question in my mind about it. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom, not what, but of whom shall I be afraid? In God I put my trust, David said. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? They put their legs through their pants one leg at a time just like you. God was very clear with the prophet Isaiah on the subject of intimidation. He said to Isaiah, don't fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults, for the moth is going to destroy them like clothes. The worm is going to eat them like wool. He goes on and says, what right do you have, Isaiah, to fear mortal men who wither like the grass and disappear overnight? Jesus advised us, don't you be afraid of men who can kill your body but not your soul. But you fear him who can take your body and soul and cast them both into the fires of hell. Indeed, I say, fear him, Jesus said. So instead of running around, can you say with me, running away, wheel around and run towards what you're afraid of. You know, real quick, I'm going to end with a testimony. When God called me to preach, I was a terribly intimidated young man. Uh, I was 130 pounds soaking wet. I was painfully skinny. My mother used to have to take up all my pants in the legs because nothing would fit me. The things I tell you guys are trying to make a point. And I couldn't gain weight. I could not. I was just, and not just that, but I, I had an inferiority complex. I was just very intimidated, terrified of what people were going to think. And God called me to preach. Me, of all people. If you stuck me in front of three or more people, I went into shock. Couldn't think of what to say. And when God called me to preach, I began to pray for opportunities. Be careful what you ask for. You may get it. And so my Bible study leader came up to me one day and he said, I want you to take over this class. I'm going to medical school. And I said, take over this group? This was one of the most happening groups in Dallas. It was, it was, it was a home, but it was packed out with young people every week who came from everywhere to listen to this man teach. And he tapped me on the shoulder and said, I want you to do it. And ha- how many of you ever felt like saying to somebody, really, you, you have completely missed God. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me just tell you, you've totally missed God. He said, no, I have not. I want you to teach. I was terrified. Now, let me tell you what I was afraid of. Nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to get anything out of it. Um, nobody's going to listen. And, they're gonna, and I just pictured them walking out going, Man, that was horrible. That's terrible. Where's Ron? That was the guy's name. And boy, I'm telling you, the week before the first night, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was shackled in intimidation. And I found something out. You'll never do the will of God if you're intimidated. Intimidation and doing the will of God don't mix. And so here comes the moment. I walked in. I heard people say, where's Ron? I said, well, you know, he's, a, you know, he's not here. Yeah. Well, who's teaching? Well, uh, you know, uh, I think I am. <laughs> you had hair down to here, part down the middle, in a ponytail, Groovy baby. (laughs) 
So I, and you know, Ron, he would sit on this, just this living room kind of stool thing and he would teach. And so I had learned guitar enough to sing, God is so good and he is Lord. And I think we sang that 10 times that night before I talked. <laughs> I think God, I think I actually alone made God sick of Kumbaya. <laughs> I think I did it all by myself. And I remember when I got done leading the worship, here's this packed house. In my opinion, they were used to hearing the very best. And I sat on this stool. And one of the guys who had been coming for a long time, when he saw that it was me, he got up and walked out. So I thought, just what I thought. But I went ahead, just belted out what I felt God had given me. And do you know that that group grew? And that teacher, Ron, came to me later and said, I can't believe it grew. Well, thanks for the vote of confidence, Ron. I really believe, you know, thanks a lot. But I learned confidence in the Spirit. And that what He calls you to do, you can do, but you can't be intimidated. And so I began to teach. I taught that meeting for four years, took His place, and God taught me how to minister the Word of God. Now, I don't, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> I mean, it's just, Lord, you know, but intimidation had to go. Can you stand with me? You've been a great group today. I know we had a lot of extra stuff. But I want you to know God has his hand on you. And as he had a call for me, he's got a call for you. And you can't be intimidated. How many of you can say, Pastor, I do deal with intimidation. I deal with it at work. I deal with it many times throughout my life, intimidation. I want us to pray that God will set us free from it. David overcame the three great faith, faith busters, people defining him down, an impossible circumstance, and intimidation. And he brought the giant down and stepped into the history books. He'd have never done it if he'd remained intimidated. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Don't worry about what people think. Most of the time, they're not. And if they do, so what? I care what he thinks. Father, I just pray you'll set this congregation, anybody in it, lift your hand if you're dealing with intimidation. Lift your hand. I'm intimidated. I admit it. Lord, I'm asking you that the word of the Lord will come and set us free from this spirit of intimidation and fear. And Lord, you'll release us to be bold as a lion with wisdom, with class, with knowledge, but bold. And Lord, we thank you for taking off of us the spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, can we give the Lord a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. And Kathy, you...